Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are finishing up our uh, I mean, I've talked to the uh, I've talked to the lawyers. It is not technically assault in my state, so we are going to be finishing up the Land of a Thousand Dwarves submitted by Tucker. Tucker, for all my jokes, uh, I do have to say thank you for submitting this prompt. It's been a, a really interesting ride. I've had a lot of fun, kind of figuring out what about this prompt I can squeeze some fun out of. And if you're only here to hear me suffer, I mean, that's fine too. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that. But if you are here to listen to us talk about world building, that's perfect. And if you're thinking, wait, Rob, how, how could I have you build my own world? I have this cool idea that I want to hear you guys kind of bat around. Guess what? We got a website, worldbuildwithus.com. You can always go there, click on the radial button that says submit prompt. Fill out the information there, and we will build your world. If you're here for the social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Let's World Build. You can come join our Discord community with the link in the description. Or if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon. Uh, now, last we left off, we had a dwarf world, and we had a twist. The twist, of course, was there really are monsters under the bed. Now, for this setting... It's particularly strange, and I'm very curious as to who wants to volunteer their reconciliation for this twist first. Um, I can go first. Go ahead, Courtney. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, it was kind of a weird one to to deal with in the setting. But thinking about it and thinking of the the metal veins that we had discussed last time as sort of like the the saving grace of the dwarves and how they can actually like defeat the dragons. What if those veins? are or were encasing a greater evil that the dwarves have unknowingly released by mining it and <laughs> melting them together. So they really can't win here is what they you're just saying. Keep, they just keep fucking up. They, you, we went from like a post-apocalyptic setting to a post-post-post-apocalyptic setting. <laughs> or, or maybe this is going to be like a Godzilla King of the Monsters situation where they unwittingly unleash this thing and hope uh, that yeah. it fights the dragons. Like now I feel like we're continuing our Kaiju uh, discussion from yeah. last episode. Is it, is it a thing that's um, uh, counters the dragons or worse the dragons, or is it a thing behind the dragons? Hmm. What do you mean? Can, can you repeat that Daniel? So um, here you're, you guys are suggesting this might be a thing counter to the dragons. Like it's separate from them and potentially mm -hmm. you could be used against them and also the dwarves. Or is it a thing that's the actual thing behind the dragons? Like, you know, that's that's the hidden actual enemy. So this is the mother of monsters is what you're saying. Right, or something like that, yeah. Sure. And uh, if we want to take that vain idea, I just I just thought of something real quick. Uh, they The dwarves could have been thinking that these were veins of uh, minerals and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I like to think that they were mining into chain shackles or something like that. Ooh, and yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they've been slowly weakening these shackles slowly, but surely to the mother of monsters, you know, that sounds really cool. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, my question is as, as or to answer Daniel's question, mm. do we want this to be a, like the mama of all dragons or do we want it to be like something that's antithetical to dragons? Is it something like dragon adjacent? What are we looking at here? Yeah. I don't really know. Like which, which one is cooler. <laughs> I, I feel like, um, well, the, we have to address another, the other thing we raised before. So you, you had mentioned Robin, an interesting idea that the dragons have some sort of culture among them earlier. Like you said, there's the potential mm -hmm. for like, dragons having politics among them themselves which would mean they're sentient and more than just monsters correct we also talked about them eating each other to be to be fewer in number and more powerful correct so that yeah. it parallels the way the dwarves are losing their um gaining power through their extinction so if if there's like a mother of all of them or something that's more powerful than them that might suggest that they're more like monsters i'm thinking more like godzilla having those little creatures in that terrible version of the movie where they would wander through the sewers <laughs> killing people. Um, mm -hmm. um, or if it's not a monster, if it's something different than the dragons, then ah. it might be not huge, but smaller and maybe more conniving. I don't know. Mm. I, I also had in mind, maybe if we wanted to 
approach these more from like the Norse mythology side. They could be uh, something that's gnawing on the roots of the world tree. So, mm. or, or maybe one of the, uh, the, what's the name of the serpent that wraps around the world? Basically, one of the monsters that brings about Ragnarok. I was thinking maybe Fenrir as well might be a cool, you know, it's like a wolf. That can be very oh, yeah, different yeah. from dragons, but also the fact that it was, you know, like still shackled in the depths of the earth as much as possible, like conveys that this thing is really like way more dangerous. However, I like the idea that Daniel's suggesting here, which is um, something smaller, more conniving, uh, perhaps a plan or something less of a primal force and more of a deliberate evil, for the lack of a better term. Yeah, because one thing I wonder, too, is if we introduce another creature that's like even worse, like that's a mon that's like the dragons, we kind of undermine the epic battle that we're setting up mm. between mm. the dwarf king and the dragon. Good point. Good mm-hmm. point. You know, I think I have a way to reconcile this with my own concept that I was kind of working with. I, I went with a fairly loose interpretation of monsters really are under the bed. And I thought, it, and, I, and I started thinking about the fear aspect to that, right? Uh, you know, when you're thinking of monsters under the bed, you're thinking of boogeymen, essentially. Fear that's generated as a child that may stick with you only to recognize that that fear is completely validated when, you know, as the twist might suggest, there really are monsters. I like the idea, and and this is kind of like a radical shift, I think. We've been talking a lot about the kings of the dwarves and the heroism that is uh, that inspires them to go out into the wastes and potentially try and bring the other fantasy races back. I was thinking that that is, in fact, not the norm at all. And the uh, the boogeymen under the bed, the monsters under the bed have cowed the entire population of dwarves to the point where they know that there are monsters that are real. They've seen them, they live with them, and they are terrified. So this dwarf going out and he, he has no support from the rest of dwarven society at large. Uh, so he is actually forced to kind of deal with his people's own cowardice on top of all of the other things that are going on as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we make this thing that's chained at the center of the earth into something that can whisper out and feed on fear in some way, mm-hmm. we can make it uh, creepy, cool, and different than the dragons that we're talking about. If Daniel always likes to personify or make physical these kind of concepts, and if we can turn the fear into a physical being who is literally chained up at the center of the earth. I think that might work out as well. Uh, what are our thoughts like on that? that? Yeah. I like, neat. I do like that. Mm. And like the idea of the dwarves overall being cowards and wanting to just sort of hide under the earth and, mm. and wait for things to hopefully improve. Can we tie that somehow to the dead and the trees? Um, how would we do that? I'm just, I I feel like they're like thematically linked somehow. Mm. Um, can you describe this thing more? Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily start out with a uh, an idea of how this looks because I'm literally kind of reconciling it as we're going through. But in my mind, I have this idea of um, kind of this helmed figure and you can only see like from, from, the, uh, from the nose up, they're entirely covered in armor. And all you see is these bared, glaring teeth and they're strung up. Maybe it's like an ancient evil dwarf or something. I was about to say that. Could it have been a dwarf who succumbed to cowardice? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mm. I think that we can also maybe make it like an avatar of fear of some kind as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on top of that, what we can also do is if we go in this direction, we can also bring in the master smith from the mm-hmm. previous episode, that kind of secondary antagonist that we had brewing, tie it into this. And that madness that he underwent that made mm-hmm. him sides is actually now justified because he's been listening to the whispers of this avatar of fear that has, that he's been listening to through the metal as he smiths it, you know? Mm-hmm. So this thing could essentially whisper something into the metal, into the very shackles that hold it. 
And when this thing is mining it and smelting it and working with it, that's when it becomes released and it starts to seep into the Smith, the master Smith that we brought up last episode. Well, I have, I have a question here. I think we could do something pretty magical with this. Oh, go ahead. Because I feel like we can tie the dead, the dragons, and this being together, especially since it's an ancient dwarf. Because I wonder, you know, if perhaps, let's let's go with the assumption for a second, just to run with this. If the dead are somehow bound to the earth in the same way the shackles are bound after being destroyed by the dragons or the species, the races, mm-hmm. could there have been some kind of story or some kind of reckoning in the past that like foresaw this happening and so until the dragon is defeated, you know, the possibility of renewing the the race um, and, and breaking those chains and ending the planes of the dead um, until that's done like that, the dwarf, the concept of the dwarf can't be unleashed. Like, I feel like we can tie the whole thing together through this guy. I, I kind of got lost there a little bit. Can you. Sorry, I'm I'm thinking about multiple things all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right, that's me too. So I'm trying to think. Okay, so we've got this this dwarf that's chained up, right? Yes. He must have some kind of history. Like he's he represents something, right? He represents that fear and the cowardice. But I wonder if there's like a myth about why he's bound up there. So if that's if there is a myth of that mm-hmm. sort, and we've got these fields of the dead, right, that are lingering despite all these races being destroyed because of the dragons. I wonder if there's like a Ragnarok sort of mythology that this is mm. was fated to happen. And until the dragons are defeated or something is fulfilled, he can't be unchained. The dwarves cowardice can't be unchained. Those mm-hmm. souls can't pass on and there can't be a future. Well, if we, if we're going with a mythological angle here, Daniel, what I might suggest is to say, I, we can go like real old mythology with it and say that this avatar of fear is actually a pact Right. Like, so long ago, the first dwarves signed a pact that they would cast aside their fear mm-hmm. and it would it would essentially manifest or maybe this is. Oh, a, that's him. They cast exactly. they literally cast it aside. Yes, yeah. exactly. He was like a sacrifice. almost, And that's why dwarves are like known for being fearless warriors. Yeah. It's because they mm-hmm. literally cast their their fear aside. Can you chain it up? Yeah, exactly. And, and you can either have this one of two ways. One. This is an actual dwarf who is a sin eater of sorts, where mm-hmm. he is taking in the entire race's uh, fears. Alternatively, yeah. this is a manifestation of that in a metaphysical sense, where this isn't mm-hmm. an actual person, but literally fear personified. I like I like the latter, but I like the concept of him absorbing all these fears. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I, I'm cool with either one, yeah. Yeah, I had been thinking like maybe he was an ancient king or someone very powerful who had made a pact to become immortal, which is in some ways like the ultimate fear of death and demise. Mm, so he, mm-hmm. he sort of fully oh. embraced that and in his immortality started to feed off of the, the fear of others or spread it around as well. Mm. Okay. So maybe the counterbalance to that to break, um, he wanted immortality, right? Mm-hmm. The dragons are about mortality. Mm. So maybe the breaking of that pact involves just de- de- setting the dragons free or destroying them mm-hmm. in some way. And in reality, he was granted his wish. He's given immortality, yeah. but he's also mm-hmm. a prisoner, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, so that might be yeah. interesting as well. Who did, who did that, per- who did that person make the pact with? Is that the, the avatar of fear, that personification of fear? Who, who did he make a pact with to become immortal? Is that something that just naturally occurs as a result of being like a fear vampire? Or is it something like, you know, he betrays his kin in the very beginning. And so they're like, you want immortality, you got immortality. Mm -hmm. And then they capture him and chain him up in the center of the earth. I mean, there's there's several options that we can go with here. I'm just like curious as to where we want to go. Yeah, like it could be a pact with some old god or a pact. Or even the dragons themselves. Yeah, a pact with like the mother of the current dragons, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a pact with the dragons and then one, but the promise is that one day we'll rise or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. And you'll have to confront your fear someday. Wait a minute. Guys, can we bring in, Mm -hmm. just hold off here. Can we bring in the smash hit movie, Dragonheart? Yes. I love I that movie. I love yes. that growing up. My <laughs> <laughs> favorite dragon yeah. movie ever. To be fair, that's like a very short list of even good ones, Daniel. Yeah, so. yeah it's the best one ever. Uh, 
All right, so we can have a dragon heart inspired pact where one of the dragons out there is tied inexorably with this avatar of dwarven fear. Mm-hmm. All right, there we go. Um, Daniel, we've been going off on this. <laughs> um, like, I- I'm down for this, by the way. this I, I thought uh, that this has all been mm-hmm. really good. How did you reconcile the twist? Because we've still got a, we got a, now, now we've got this tight, intricate story. We got to jam yours in there somehow. We got to figure it out. So what is it, Daniel? I didn't have like a solid explanation. I was going to try and point towards the dead and assume there was something having to do with the fields of the dead and the, the trees and the ants. And I wanted that to be somehow connected. Mm-hmm. But I think if we are, if, if the, if the fields of the dead are, are maybe, uh, what do you call it? An accident of this, of this whole fear creature, then that suffices. You know, like if somehow the, the dead linger because, you know, it's, he's been chained up there. I think that would be fine. Well, I, I don't mean to throw a monkey wrench here, Daniel, but what we can also do, uh, we can certainly just take the concept of the ghosts, right? We have the ghosts in the ends in the ghost ends. And why don't we have it be so those are just souls who haven't been absorbed by the dragons yet? Mm-hmm. Because we talked mm-hmm. about that in the last episode that these dragons, by just being on the earth and by causing as much destruction as they have, that they have essentially absorbed the souls of certain mortal races within them. Mm-hmm. And these ghosts can be the souls that have escaped temporarily from being absorbed into the dragons, right? Yeah. What if they're what if they're not souls but residual fear? Mm-hmm. Okay. That yeah, I mean ghosts are often creatures who are looking or who have unresolved feelings and if yeah. that feeling is fear I can certainly mm-hmm. see that. They're like echoes Like they're seeping here. up through the earth from where he is buried deep underneath. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense because, I mean, the eruption and then the dragons causing this widespread destruction, that would have all been fairly rapid, I think. So mm. I imagine there, there would be a lot of unresolved feelings and also fear and just a lot going on that would keep these yeah. from going peacefully to the afterlife or wherever they go. And I was very much listening to your explanation. And as it was washing over me, this is what came out, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this certainly works. I, I, I'm, I'm down with this entirely. So I feel like we've got a pretty good basis for the reconciliation part. I think that that's pretty much solid and taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Are we ready to move on to our factions, our dwarven, dwarven factions? Or maybe actually not even dwarven, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'll start us off this time because I rarely do. But I wanted to bring about a group of iconoclastic vandals among the Dwarven society where a lot of what we've been talking about is ancient history and learning from, you know, the dwarves of the past and stuff like that. And one thing that I thought would be interesting is this faction of dwarves who are so against the concept of facing their history that they would rather destroy cultural and historical artifacts or, in fact, information that is older than they deem necessary. So while you have one party of heroes who are going out looking for books of, you know, like alchemical or blacksmithing formula, these motherfuckers are walking around being like, Hey, that vase from the last century, that's got to go. Smash it, destroy it, and move on. To me, it seems as, and now that we've got this 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 avatar of fear, I actually had this concept based as like, this is a manifestation of fear of the new mm-hmm. and fear of an attempt to move on. And so they're kind of like, I know my dwarven history. I know what it's like. Don't try and convince me otherwise. And it's uh, it's it's sort of a revisionist history type thing that I was working with, uh, but that's that's kind of the basic concept that I was running with. I like that. What do these dwarves like look like? Because I'm always curious what the because we have different kinds of dwarves. What do these dwarves look like? Dress like and all that. Um, I'm not one for dwarven aesthetics here, Daniel. Uh, I just kind of <laughs> pictured them as like dwarves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of part of what I think I find interesting about the concept is that they really are just regular people for the most part. But there, I, I have in mind, right, like the Charlottesville rally, where it's like, those are just regular ass dudes 
uh, obviously not regular, but you know, like they are normal appearing mm-hmm. people who are doing radicalized things. Okay. I was just curious because um, it's always fun to like, let them be personified somehow through their, either their dress or maybe their iconography or something. I'm down for that. And, I mean, if you guys want to come up with that, that's, I'm, I'm certainly yeah. open to it, but in my mind, they're just vandals, so they would probably have something that weapons that they're like would... hidden among the regular doors. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I wonder, like, you know, maybe privately or however they meet. Like, I wonder what do they do that's the opposite of typical dwarf culture, since they're like iconoclasts in some way. That way, we can like visualize it. Well, I mean, I I had it in mind that the typical dwarf is someone who reveres history, who listens to the tales, who listens to, uh, you know, and reads the stories of the kings of old. And these people are like, this is all propaganda. They're just trying to get us to go on the surface. I'm not going on the surface. You know, like there's, there's this inherent. Do they have secret punk punk raves? Uh, No, no, they do. I don't think they're cool enough to have punk (laughs) raves, Daniel. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just trying to think like what what fun thing could we add? Or do they like do they like have secret rituals where they cr- crush runes as a testament to their iconic classism? See now that iconic I can get behind. Behavior. Yeah, that that I can get behind. I like the idea that maybe these are like sledge wielders and maybe that's oh. maybe that's kind of the iconic, you know, weapon. You know, when again, if I'm thinking back to um, you know, Charlottesville, the 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 thing that you always have in mind there, no matter what, is the tiki torches, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what you get out right, of it. Right, right, right. So here we can have it. So like, there's a specific type of hammer that indicates that you are an iconoclast. A burning like. hammer that can break through the runes that have been placed throughout the halls. Interesting. Or some sort I, of like acid that can corrode oh. things over time. Mm-hmm. Corrosive. Um, Maybe they use corrosive. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we can get away from the fire bit because mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of like a corrosion element to mm-hmm. it as well. Um, what now? What would that look like? How can we make that interesting? You know, like maybe it's not even a hammer. Maybe it's a pickaxe. You know, like they're they're uh, literally yeah. chipping away at certain things, and then they can smash them when necessary. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting imagery that we can kind of play with here. I'm picturing kind of like a, a paste that they can like smear on like walls or mm-hmm. kind of over artifacts that will just rust or degrade the material to mm. the point where it kind of crumbles apart. Like right. it's possible that they're not, because um, if we want to like, we want to give them a, a visual vigor almost, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe they're, they're not using heavy weapons. Like you're saying, like they do the opposite. Like they're not violent and they don't pursue strength in the same way. Mm. so you're suggesting that well the the other reason i kind of had them in mind is this idea that well the the idea of like the hammer and the pickaxe in particular they're essentially co-opting um you know workers uh, laborers uh identities and stuff like that so they can mm-hmm. more easily hide among them like that's part of why i was thinking we could go that way as well but if you want to oh, make yeah, them okay. more academic and just have it so they're using like potions and unctions and you know like stuff that is oh yeah what if they're like, alchemists, like alchemists sort yeah. Of. yeah but they could still have the i they could still yeah. use the pickaxe and symbol like they probably carry that even though it's they don't use it the same way mm. i mean mm-hmm. i imagine that like corrosive things would be useful in their mining too so maybe they are just they are part of the the working class more or less but they've sort of mm. branched off I can imagine them them meeting in darker crevices, mm-hmm. you know, in their alchemy robes, you know, because I've got a visual for them or something um, to destroy runes they've recovered and to melt them mm-hmm. in their corrosive acid rather than break them apart. And, and maybe we can kind of make a delineation between like, these are the leaders. The leaders are alchemists, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And the, they, but they tend to aim for laborers and like lower yeah, class. Yes, so they prey on the laborers yeah. to get their ideology. Into yeah, them. there we go. Okay. I'm okay with okay, that. I'm I see okay it. Yeah, yeah. now because now I can visualize, okay, there's this upper crust, you know, that's meeting secretly, you know, in their horrible little alchemy robes and with their yeah. little picket axe and whatever symbol to do this awful stuff. Yeah, I could also see them like whenever a, a new artifact is uncovered, they like kind of confiscate it to study it. And mm-hmm. but that's really just them kind of rushing it off to destroy it before anybody can actually look mm. at it. 
A little bastards. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, we can make them as, as widespread or as rare as we need to, you know, like I don't see them necessarily as, be, but I see them as being large enough of a threat where like thousands of years in the future, people will look back and be like, we lost so much information to these motherfuckers. Like mm-hmm. we lost mm-hmm. art and history and it's most of it's lost because of them. You know, like there's this right. kind of like, despair in the future to that mm. which is lost you know um yeah. I, I approach this the way that i would look at um when the catholics entered ireland and destroyed uh you know years and years and years of history of druidic religion and druidic texts and religious symbols that is gone never to be recovered and as modern folks we look at that and lament it's lost to an insight into a culture that we have very little information about. Mm. So I, I feel like on, on that note, on that <laughs> slightly depressing historical note, I, I feel like we should move away from this faction, dive into someone else. Uh, Daniel, why don't you go ahead and hit us with your faction? My faction is not dwarves. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I should have gone in that direction, Daniel. I'm jealous. <laughs> Um, I picture they're not really a faction either because can't really move. But <laughs> <laughs> are they just rocks? <laughs> kind of. So I pictured um, there. There was this group of elves because you gotta have elves, right? Mm-hmm. You really don't. Uh, I assure you, <laughs> there's elves. No, there's okay. elves. Here they all right, all right. I'm just saying. <laughs> You don't have. I've I've me, I've uh, run many a game without elves, and it's yeah, they've all been I know, successful. but at the end of the day, somewhere in the fantasy tale, there's something like elves somewhere. No matter how much they bullshit it, I, um, I'm I'm here with you. Like we got dwarves, you might as well toss in their shitty cousins, the elves. Like exactly, I get it. yeah. Go for it. So I don't I don't really care what these elves were like when they were alive, but there was a small group of them. Guess um, what? They pre- sucked. That's what they were like when they were alive. <laughs> Right, probably they're whitey and then slim, whatever. But um, anyway, these elves, um, <laughs> there were sorcerer types among them. And when the apocalypse happened and their race was destroyed, there's a small group of them that used their powers as they were literally being vaporized with lava to with whatever magic crystals they had to seal up their souls in these crystals. And there is somewhere in the realm a field or cavern or grotto of these huge uh, red crystals where there's like shadows of their souls embedded. Mm. So, you know, Mm. like the form of the elf is in there somehow. And they can be consulted and they have like special knowledge from before like the the apocalypse, basically. That's dope. And perhaps some of their magics preserved there. Yeah, that's that's really cool. cool. I'm getting Dark Crystal like Skeksy vibes for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But my question to you, Daniel, is what is their ambition? What are they hoping to accomplish? And how do they accomplish those missions, considering that they're all rock boys now? (laughs) <laughs> i'm not sh- i mean i'm open to whatever their missions could be i do the way i envision it working is that you have to go to this place and i don't know they're basically like they were forged in the fire of the dragon mm-hmm. because they used it to seal themselves up so mm-hmm. the dragon kind of created dragon glass out of their crystals or whatever but um and i don't even know maybe maybe their crystals they didn't have crystals maybe just they used the rock to seal themselves in there and now they're crystals because of the fire but their their presence has an influence on those who consult with them mm-hmm. so i don't know if it's a nefarious influence or a positive one i want to say positive because we have a lot of nefarious influences yeah. out there already you know yeah so maybe they're like a helpful source, but they're hard to get to because they're deep in dragon country. Mm-hmm. It's too bad that you wanted to go positive because the words psychic contagion immediately sprang to mind. <laughs> like as to- Yeah, I feel like we already have a fear contagion and all that. Yeah. So maybe they're like a way of, of getting help and hope out of the world. Mm-hmm. Oh man, why are you going to be positive about that shit, Daniel? Like I get it, <laughs> but I get it. So So how do they help people, I guess? Like- if if their goal and if their influence is to be positive, how do we think we can make them be positive? Courtney, I want to hear your thoughts on this because uh, torment mostly. <laughs> Great. Um, I do like this idea a lot. And I, I could picture once this has been discovered, kind of small bands of survivors traveling there to try to get like a solution to everything that's going on. Um, but maybe the 
the elves are they speak in such like convoluted riddle-esque ways that it takes time to decipher what they're actually telling you like what guidance they're actually giving Mm-hmm. like their echoes are trapped in the glass uh, and it's hard yeah. to hear them yeah not only that i would imagine that if the dragons knew that these that these elves were entrapped in crystal that they would just go there find them and kill them so mm-hmm. maybe they're exactly. also speaking in ciphers as a way to protect themselves mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah definitely because wherever they are i mean, i want them to be close to the dragons because it's hard to get there so it's treacherous but they're probably hidden in a way that it's hard to find them so if they were mm-hmm. found the dragons would definitely just shatter them yeah. yes absolutely but again h- how do they benefit dwarf kind here that's what i'm curious about i mean maybe they can in part because I, I know that part of the forging of the the weapons has to do with um finding stuff in the world to, mm-hmm. to, to get the knowledge of it so maybe they possess some of that knowledge like they're one of the, of the missing pieces they're part of the yeah. formula that you need to find yeah yeah like they're probably maybe they're the last leg like after, as you're traveling they're mm-hmm. the ones that have the secret mad the power word that you have to speak or something sure mm-hmm. i mean I'm, I'm down for that yeah. all right yeah cool so we we've got like do, what do we want to call them crystal sages something like that crystal speakers mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something. All right. Something glass, you know. Mm. Somebody will come up with it. The glass <laughs> we'll just send that. Yeah, it's a classic. We'll send it to the writing room. They'll figure it out. <laughs> Daniel, I hate I hate to tell you we ran out of money for the writing room like <laughs> yeah. seven episodes ago. <laughs> uh, the writing room is me drinking a Seagram's escapes, you know, three to five of them. Are, are you sure it's disgusting. not are you sure it's not a Georgia Ocean? <laughs> yes, it's a Georgia Ocean. <laughs> Uh, a whole bottle though oh my god <laughs> well obviously daniel um uh-huh. obviously so uh courtney speaking of uh, an ocean of rum uh what is your faction um so interestingly it it works well off of yours rob as like a foil mm. in a way um i was thinking i mean since dwarves classically are all about runes and and at least in um tolkien there's a lot of singing and epic poetry involved i was thinking of a faction of like singers and poets who also Mm. carve epic poems into the cavern walls to record their history oh yeah and tell stories of the past yeah we we have we've created factions that are direct like diametrically opposed to one another for sure (laughs) again no like i feel like this series has been the series of collusion for Courtney and I, like it's we have weird. been like, it's weird. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's very strange. Like <laughs> how opposite one another we've been like, but like also very closely tied. But mm-hmm. so let me ask you this, Courtney, mm-hmm. you say uh, singers and poets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how bullied are they in Dwarven society? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like singing wouldn't necessarily be looked down upon. Like if you think the of- The Klingons loved it. <laughs> they love bard, bardic songs. Yeah, bardic songs about like battle and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of this is about battle. Since that's what also, do. I will, I will say this now and, and mm. probably get some hate for it. I think Klingons are way cooler than dwarves. Like, and- <laughs> Me too. Like, it's, it's, pro- it's not even close. And I think that- yeah, I think that like Klingons are also more interesting, despite mm-hmm. the fact that they're just regular ass people with forehead ridges. Like that's really, <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about that. Anyway, let's move on. Let's let's talk more about your band here, Courtney. Um, <laughs> how often do they go on tour? Uh, what are their record sales like? Pretty pretty um, bad lately. Not so good ever since the apocalypse yeah. happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, so are they? Their their idea is that they are trying to specifically preserve history. That's what the, yes. that's what you're suggesting, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean that works perfectly. Uh, do what do we want, Daniel? What do you think that we need to expand upon here for this faction to be a little bit more fleshed out? So, I again, I'd like to visualize them in some way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how are they culturally represented? Like, do they? carry i don't know stone blocks with them but they're constantly chiseling in Mm -hmm. are they uh more colorful like what's their deal yeah i'm picturing them as like scholar entertainers in a way um i I do like the idea of them kind of lugging around these tablets on their backs that they kind of carve into (laughs) that'd be funny um but yeah definitely chisel and all would be their 
kind of tool. What's their main instrument too? Like maybe do they have like really giant instruments mainly? You know, might I suggest something here? Mm-hmm. Uh, you could probably use hammer and chisel as a percussion mm-hmm. instrument. So yeah, like, yeah. like the the rhythmic like pounding yes. of hammer and chisel can like basically keep us a, a kind of like simple beat. Yeah, and they sing along to that as they yeah. carve the poems. Yeah. Yeah, there is um there is this is going to sound really weird. There is a there's a song for the game Warframe which mm-hmm. is uh it's it's an a kind of an action MMO game. Uh, but one of the trailers that they have for one of the expansions is basically a, a, a work song that is set to like hammers on, on metal. And it sounds amazing. I would, I would actually recommend listening to it because it's just a good ass song on its own. You mm-hmm. don't have to know anything about Warframe. Uh, but that's kind of what I have in mind when I'm thinking about this is, you know, they could simultaneously entertain, sing and educate workers as they are kind mm. of working all together you know yeah yeah uh seriously though you should go listen to that song it's a great <laughs> song uh it's called we all lift together i think something like that it's also short so yeah no it does sound like like what i had in mind there also whistling you gotta have whistling i think that's important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's a special whistling dwarf who leads it oh oh, <laughs> oh i wonder if um if they have some knowledge that led to the discovery of those like crystals the echo elves i yeah i'd like to i'd like to kind of bring everything together here i think that works i mean your faction is directly antagonistic with mine Mm -hmm. and then um maybe maybe these like uh the chris the the crystal sages or whatever they leave clues of some kind you Mm -hmm. know like I, i don't know how they'd be able to do that considering that they're just crystals but Maybe maybe they're like veins of crystals that you know seep into the earth or something like that. I'm sure there's there's tales of where they've been heard of, and it requires dwarfish reasoning to really understand and interpret what those tales mean, where they could be. I, mm-hmm. I have an idea that ties in like a fantastical magic thing, which would be like they encase their their messages in geodes oh, that need to be cracked open. And yep. the dwarves are obviously able to do that. So then oh, they can listen the to world. your message. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's dope. I'm so that's down great. for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good old geodes. Oh, man. <laughs> always, always solving problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Not only great for solving problems, but great for show and tells as well. So mm-hmm. that's good. Oh, yeah. The elf lords in the final days sent messengers across the world to trap their messages in geodes that were then burnt, sealed, um, shut Ooh. with fire nice yeah oh maybe maybe they're like maybe we can take this even further and the crystals themselves are actually just the physical bodies of burnt elves yeah that's what i was picturing i was picturing like a crystal with an elf in it yeah Yeah. oh like bugs trapped in amber almost yeah yeah Yeah. oh i was thinking that they like the bodies themselves basically melt into crystal yeah not not like trapped inside but like the body that itself is like a oh it's crystalline i see yeah because they're elves and they're fucking weird and it's like we don't eat because we're crystal so that's like mount vesuvius kind of deal or Pompeii rather yeah yeah like a nuclear bomb turning everything into glass yeah that's what i was thinking yeah yeah Yeah, exactly exactly cool when their shadows are permanently cast on the on the rock too Ooh, that's super oh cool. there we go yeah that's dope yeah come on that's that's amazing all right so it's yeah. like when you go to them there's a circle of them and there's just like all darkness in the middle because all their shadows cast in the center mm. and then that shadow moves and you're like whoa <laughs> <laughs> all right i feel like we've wrapped up our factions pretty well here. Mm. Not only that, we've interconnected everything. Everything's starting to feel like a living, breathing world. The only thing that we're missing now is a brand new dwarven language that Tolkien would write for us and a map, <laughs> uh, which again, very important to Tolkien scholars. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think at this point, we are ready to roll some uh, main quest and side quest material. Are you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Cool. Main quest, uh, what are we thinking for that? Like, obviously, uh, again, if we're doing the, the the obvious thing here, it is the king trying to get everything. Like, we've basically been building it this entire time, which is 
you are the king and part of his retinue on your way to go and try and find these pieces so you can build the armor so you can go and kill one of the dragons, right? Like that's kind of the obvious one. Do we want to stick with that or do we want to go left? I mean, do we roll to figure out what it is? Maybe that will tell us what the direction is. You know what, Daniel, I agree. Let's roll a theme and then the thing that we're focusing on here and then that will kind of guide our questing material. How's that sound? Do it up. So the theme that we're going to be focusing on is survival, which very mm. appropriate considering mm-hmm. themes. And the thing that we're going to be focusing on is going to be a moment of triumph. So mm. again, remarkably appropriate. Mm-hmm. We've got the theme of survival. The thing that we're focusing on is a moment of triumph. So let's let's start there with the quest. Uh, do we start before or after the moment of triumph? I would say before. And you build toward the moment of triumph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, if we're dealing with the main story, you know, I'm thinking Lord of the Rings structure here. There's lots of little moments of triumph on the way to getting rid of the ring. You know, and uh, even reaching the, the glass elves would be a moment of trying to get that secret from them. And then mm-hmm. maybe after they have retrieved that information, they're destroyed, you know? So now that dwarf person carries the one piece of knowledge and they've got to get back and survive so that the weapons can be forged. Yeah. Sure. Let's, let's roll with that. Absolutely. I mean, I imagine populating that story would be what are all the crazy um, perils they encounter on the way there and on the way back. I'm starting to see a story here. We can start with some of the stone singers that Courtney was talking about earlier. And as they're kind of in this new area, uh, one of the singers just so happens to find a geode, crack it open and receive their hint towards the the crystal sages. Right. And then we can follow a group of these bards in conflict, of course, with my iconoclastic vandals mm-hmm. as they're trying to find the... Maybe, actually, we can even go a step further. Maybe the 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 vandals that we talked about as well really want to find the crystal sages to destroy them so they can stop tempting yeah. their people into these suicide missions because that's how they kind of view it, right? Yeah, because the crystals are like such a huge relic of the past and hold so much yeah. history that destroying them would be huge for the uh the iconoclasts absolutely mm-hmm. and now we have a race against time mm-hmm. where both of them i mean it's it's kind of like an indiana jones situation where yeah. both of them have it's they're trying to find the same thing and you've got to get there and stop them before it happens and also avoid notice of the dragons because they'll just kill all mm-hmm. of you mm-hmm. not just the dragons but the molten men you know that's mm-hmm. also well, their armies the roving army yeah mm-hmm. exactly uh, I'm, yeah, there we go. I'm cool with all that. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that wraps it up. I mean, that was quick, but I think that's, <laughs> I think that that's like, we've been building towards this concept pretty much the entire mm-hmm. time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, yeah. This is a fun way of, you know, like uh, the heartbreaker of fantasy is always replicating Lord of the Rings over and over again, but this is one fun way of doing it in a way that's, it's interesting. It is in a sense, similar structure, similar concepts, but here we have some more flavor that, that makes it different, which I think mm-hmm. is really yeah. fine. And the essence of writing fantasy. But but the, the issue that I might take with that is that flavor can only get you so far before you really need substance, you know? Oh, I mean, I use the word flavor, but I mean, like, there's there's some some different concepts we're dealing with. Like mm-hmm. we yeah. still have the same trope of, a, of an item being carried, a burden being carried to a destination, to yeah. the burden of that secret. Sure. But there's like fundamentally different things at play that make it interesting. So we're still right. using the same pattern of Lord of the Rings, but we're, you know, creating a new story from it. We're dealing with different themes. We're playing with right. different themes here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. I, th- I think I like the idea that the dwarves are kind of focused on grief as well. Like that's an interesting aspect to it. And now we've got like these new factions that we've made up. But like, I'm, I'm here for it, man. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So can we go full Gonzo with our dwarf setting now where we just go left with it? Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, let's go, baby. All right. So enough of this Tolkien bullshit. Let's roll some dice and go with a completely different setting and see how the dwarves hold up. Uh, New genre is going to be Courtney and Daniel. Mm -hmm. 
how can we reconceive of this concept, this theme, when we shift into a space opera setting? <laughs> oh, dear God. <sighs> With dwarves. Uh... With dwarves, yes. So we've got... We're thinking of space dwarves now, right? They're mining asteroids instead of, mm -hmm. you know, within the Earth mm -hmm. itself. That's the easy option. Now let's see what kind of theme we want to focus on. Fury. Okay. Space opera, fury, and the thing that we're going to be focusing on first, a cataclysm. Okay. That seems to be exactly the same standards of the fantasy setting. Right. But we're in space <sighs> opera. So let's think I of know. something else. Um, well, I, I guess what you would start is making parallels to things. So I like mining asteroids or mining some space resource. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, dragons are really powerful entities. So what's the equivalent of that in, in sci-fi? My first thought is <laughs> mega corporations, you know. I would love to just keep them as dragons. <laughs> actual like, dragons. Like actual dragons because it's it's like, fuck it. Or... or or, I mean, the trope I would suggest is probably like the giant space bug that is akin to a dragon, you know, where like they come and they they explode bugs all over the place and then bam, there's your world conqueror. But I, I like the idea of like a giant ass space dragon that has hatched from the original dwarven homeworld or something like that. And its its birth has caused like a cataclysmic event. Or they were doing something ridiculous like mining a star. And oh, that was like where the dragon was sleeping. Or I like that. Yeah. Like maybe it's like a because that would mean it's like a, a star dragon and made some, yeah. made of yeah. like hydrogen and and explosions, nuclear explosions. <laughs> sure, it's it's basically a sun. It is a yeah. it is a moving roving sun, which would explain a lot of stuff that we can kind of get it with here. Yeah, well, absolutely. there you go. Because like that would cause the star to go dim. Right. Mm -hmm. and now you've got this fire dragon destroying the planets in their galaxy or solar system. And now it's darkness everywhere, which would cause an extinction. Um, and the dwarves live underground. And dwarves can see in the dark. So, yeah. yeah, that works fine. They burrow underneath ice planets to survive and make habitats. Mm -hmm. So now the only the only trouble that I see here is what's the quest and how does it relate to fury? Well, fury is what? A vengeance? Anger, maybe. Mm -hmm. And is the fury the dragon or is it like their desire to end this? Excellent question, Daniel. What about like fury at themselves for making this happen in the first place? Fucking up. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. The cataclysm is not just the dragon. It is the civil war that happens. Mm. It is war between themselves, between the warring factions of some kind. Because now we can get into like, Maybe there's an imperialist bent, you know, where it's the, the dwarves of like the original homeworld aren't nearly as affected by this dragon as the dwarves that are a couple of systems away. Mm -hmm. And so, so let's, the, the, go ahead, Daniel, what are you going to say? Okay, so I would say, yeah, kick it up a notch. Make it not a single system. This dragon's emerging from the deep galactic core and your civil mm -hmm. war is happening throughout the quadrant. So there's mm -hmm. plenty of space between its arrival and the homeworld you're talking about. Right. And I, I love the imagery of like stars gradually being consumed by it yes. and the night yeah. sky gradually getting like dimmer and dimmer. Yeah. And then the civil war is ramped up as more and more people flee from these dying stars mm -hmm. and the imperialist dwarves are like, wait a minute, what's happening? And But there's still this like fervent rage that's kind of fueling both sides that doesn't stop either mm -hmm. way, you know, until it's Denialist. obviously too late. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, People on Homeworld, they don't see the the fighting care. that's going on on the edges of their galaxy, and like they don't mm. care. They're there, like they're there sipping a dwarven colada, and they're ha <laughs> like in in their underground grotto pools, listening to Courtney's singer dwarves, and that's all they got to worry about. You know? Well, and the problem is that like the dragon, they calculate the dragon won't get there for millennia. It doesn't matter, but they don't realize the dragon's picking up momentum as it eats more stars. Uh, sure, yeah. so it's yeah. it'll get there faster and faster until it's too late. And they're fighting against the civil war to put down the people who are like raising. If they're iconoclasts, they're like. We, you are, you guys are so focused in the past, and we're destroying museums and, and old like away stations to prove 
you know, we need to be listened to because this is a problem. When the old the old class, like the the bards singing those songs, are like, "What well, doesn't matter? We don't care," and they're aware that they're coming. So here, almost, I could see the iconoclasts as being heroic. There we go. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. I love that with like a subtle shift, you can see both sides being heroic in in certain cases. You know, I and I bet that. the iconoclasts are on the rim because you said they're working class, right? So they're probably working mm-hmm. on the outer rim. And they can see more of this happening yeah. than those in the inner, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe it's a matter of the the inner, you know, the inner planets are too focused on reliving their glory. Maybe that's mm-hmm. to them, yeah. you know, reliving that glory over and over again is like an opiate. You know, it's like remember yeah. when we were great, and you know, like we're only going to focus on the past, not what's right. literally happening right now right in now. front of us. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And this is this is like now you can take the iconoclast, remove the villainy, and now turn mm-hmm. them into like badass freedom fighters who are like, fuck your past. We want a future, goddammit. You know, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. This feels very like topical for climate change, too, as a parallel there. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> Courtney. Dragon is approaching faster than expected. And- <laughs> <laughs> really? It's becoming it's getting exponentially faster. Yeah. Yep. Uh I mean That'll do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Uh, remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. And while you still have the time anyway, you can submit a prompt that we will absolutely do for you. Look, if we did Land of a Thousand Dwarves, we'll do pretty much anything that's not you know sexually explicit. So with that in mind, go to our website so we can build your world. And if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter at Let's World Build. Alternatively, you can come and join our community over on Discord with the link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon with a link for that also in the description. That'll do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much and we're going to get through this together until next week. <laughs> <laughs>